Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 to 17. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let's pray together. Father, would you take your word, plant it deep in our hearts. May we not simply be hearers, but doers also of this word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would illumine our eyes, that you would shine the light of Scripture into our very hearts and minds. Teach us according to your will, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for those who weren't here last week, this is actually part two. Uh, We started through this text, and as I commented last week, it seemed a little improper when we get to the verses that say, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly to somehow put it into hyperdrive to move quickly to the end. Um, We were running out of time, so we paused last week and we're picking back up in the last uh, three verses of this text, verses 15, 16, and 17. uh, Paul has established our status. As we've worked our way through Colossians, Paul has established that our status is in Christ, that we have been crucified with Him, dead to our old self, dying to self, putting the old self to death with its sins. And we have been raised with Christ and seated with Him in the heavenlies. And that status that he describes in chapters 1 and 2, then in verse 3 makes it, begins to make it very, very practical as to what that looks like. That status then produces a fruit. Now, we know what's really happening is it's the fruit of the Spirit because a part of that status is the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And Paul describes these characteristics as compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Not the exhaustive list that we see in Galatians 5, but fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives nonetheless. And to this, he adds that we are to bear with one another. Bear with one another to carry each other's burdens, but also to put up with each other, to tolerate each other, to be gracious to each other, because we're all different. Sometimes things get rubbed the wrong way. And when we're... We, we sense an offense, we're to forgive. And we looked at how last week there, isn't condi- there aren't conditions, rather, that are put on that forgiveness. We're just simply called to forgive because we have been forgiven in Christ. 
And then he says the fruit that binds all of this together is what? Love. Love binds all this together. And the result of that is this harmony, this perfect harmony that puts on display the love of Christ. The body of Christ ought to be unique to the world around us and how we care for each other, how we love each other, how we bear with one another, how we get along, how we respond, how we forgive. One thing to keep in mind in all of this, as we think of putting off the old man, putting on the new that's being renewed or made after the image of its creator, into the image of Christ, is that we're not being made into to lemmings. We're not being made into the same person. We're being conformed to the image of Christ, but God made you uniquely you. He gave you a personality. He gave you certain experiences. He, by His Spirit, gave you specific spiritual gifts. So even when Paul says, mimic me or imitate me, he adds the qualifier, as I imitate Christ. So be comfortable in your own skin, so to speak. Be who you are, be who God made you to be as you are conformed into the image of His Son. Because what this does is this creates in our diversity the opportunities for us to rely on each other, to depend on each other. We need each other. And if we're all trying to be the same person and do the same stuff and do things the same way and mimic each other in the same way, we really can't help each other the way we can when we are who we are. So whatever the gifts God's given you, whatever who He's made you to be, be the best you in that sense. I'm not saying be the best you in the sense of being comfortable with sin and the old you. I'm talking about the new you in Christ, who God has made you to be. So as we pick up then in verse 15, we read, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now the peace of Christ has a lot of ramifications for us. I'm just going to pick three. We could probably list more, but peace, the peace of Christ gives us peace with God. All right? he, he deals with the wrath of God. He deals with our sins so that we're at peace with God. We also experience peace with one another. Uh, we can have peace with each other. We can actually live at peace with one another. It's possible for those who are in faith. And we also have peace in the circumstances in life. Those are just three ways. Let's look at those briefly. In Colossians 1, the first chapter, as we were moving through it, in verse 20 we read, "...and through Him, that is Christ, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross." The peace of God, or the peace of Christ, is ours because of the cross. He, God didn't just decide to go, oh, I'll just look past everything. I'll just let them kind of slide. No, He's just. He remains just. And He dealt with our sin justly. This is what makes Christ's death on the cross so meaningful to us, something that we continue to unfold in this in the sense that we, we never really get the greatness of it, what He actually did for us. He satisfied the wrath of God for our sins so that we are now at peace with Him. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only peace with God, but peace with one another. 
Biggest example of this that we see in Scripture is in Ephesians, how Paul says the the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down between Jew and Gentile, two people groups that were at odds with each other. You remember in Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That killing of hostility isn't just among or between Jew and Gentile. Killing of hostility is intended to be among us all. Um, the, the, the hostility that exists between people groups is dealt this death blow at the cross. In other words, we're no longer to hold on to the animosities, the differences that mark our cultures, our ethnicities, our experiences, or our traditions when we come together in the body of Christ. Instead, because we are in Christ, we are reconciled together to God through His blood to a peace that transcends all of our human ills. Now, this... This, this is something that the world doesn't understand. This is something that can only be done by the work of Christ, and it ought to be on display in the body of Christ. The peace of God, thirdly, also brings hope and peace in our circumstances in life. It doesn't mean that we don't have trouble, but in, in our troubles we can know a peace that passes all understanding. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The tendency with a verse like that, that many of us have either memorized or have heard so many times that it just kind of rolls through our minds as we forget what it says. We go through it so quickly that we forget what those words mean. The peace of God, which surpasses understanding. So there is a peace that is ours. It's a peace of God given to us by the work of Christ that goes beyond our comprehension. That means that other people ought to look into the body of Christ and scratch their heads. They ought to say, this doesn't make sense. And often that is the testimony. Have we not seen and experienced and heard testimonies that this can happen? That ought to be one of our goals to see. The promise, again, isn't that the problems disappear, but rather that in our problems, we don't need to be fearful or anxious, but we can come to Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf, making our requests known to Him through prayer, trusting that He who is all-powerful is able to answer our prayers and grant us peace. What does this look like? Well, I read Romans 5.1. Let me read it again but continue in the verses that follow so we can see what this looks like. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Sufferings don't go away. We rejoice in our sufferings, he says. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
The peace of God that is ours through faith in Jesus works in a way to give us hope because it works transforming us in the process. It's changing us. It's not leaving us static. And the reason that it is a sure hope is not because of the progress that we see. We thank God for that. But that's not the reason that it gives us hope. The reason that it gives us hope is it's the hope in Christ. He is the solid rock on which we stand. He is the one on whom we can trust and rest and find that hope regardless of what's happening in your life today. He never changes. He stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that is what makes our hope sure. Yes, we thank Him for the progress that He's making in our life, but we thank Him for who He is. One thing that you may have noticed that's in all of these passages that I've read, but is also here in verse 15, is, and be thankful. Now, the way it's written in some of our English translations is as a separate sentence, and be thankful. And so it almost looks like something he just tacked on the end. But did you notice when we read through that it's in verse 15, and it's in verse 16, and it's in verse 17? So this thankfulness thing is kind of a theme here, isn't it? Maybe we should pay attention to this idea of thankfulness and not just pass it over. We're told to be thankful in many times in Scripture. One Specific, specifically clear example, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. How many of us have wondered what God's will is for our lives? How many of us have prayed, Lord, show me your will? Or gone to seek someone who could counsel us and say, I'm trying to figure out God's will for my life. Well, let's start here, because this verse tells us exactly what God's will is that in all circumstances we are to give thanks. And then just a couple verses after he gives that commandment, he says, now may the peace of God, or rather may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. There's a connection between our giving thanks, our being thankful, and us experiencing the peace of God. There is a connection between our being thankful and our experiencing the peace of God. You may say, well, I know I'm supposed to be thankful, but what if I don't feel thankful? That is an honest and good question. That's a great question. I hope it actually went through your mind today, because I think that's where most of us are, or have been or will be, right? We don't feel thankful every day. What do we do? There are times where the circumstances of life weigh us down and are such a burden on us that we struggle to feel thankful. Let me encourage you with the words of a simple children's song, and I don't mean it to be simple by saying this. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. It's sometimes as simple as us being intentional of thinking about who God is and what He has done for us. I've lived long enough to know that on any given day, there are plenty of things I can complain about there's always plenty of things I can complain about. And if I look hard enough, I can find some more. But I can also choose to see who God is and what He has done for me and choose to be thankful. It doesn't make the bad stuff go away, but it does allow us to experience God's peace in a unique way. Yeah, the song may sound trite because we sang it when we were kids or we sang it in camp and it sounds campy. But sometimes it's just as simple as that. Count them. Think about them. Write them down. Pray them back to God. Thank you, Lord, for doing this. Thank you, Lord, for meeting this need. Thank you, Lord, for carrying me through. Thank you, Lord, for providing in this way. 
Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Just coming from that position allows us to experience God's peace. We see an example of this in Scripture, thanking God for who He is and what He's done in one of the most amazing worship pictures that we have, John's Revelation. John's given this vision. He gets to peek into heaven, and one of the things he sees are the 24 elders in Revelation 11 saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. We can thank God for who He is, who was and who is and who is to come, that never changing God because He reigns. So even when life doesn't make sense, even when the circumstances don't add up, even when we can't understand We can thank God that He reigns, that Jesus has conquered sin and death, that He has saved us from our sins, that He has made us His own, that He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Count your blessings. So we give thanks to God for who He is. We give thanks in our singing together as we sing songs. We'll see that in verse 16 as we look at that. And then verse 17, we give thanks in everything, just as 1 Thessalonians told us to. Let me mention one other way that we can be thankful and give thanks to God. The most common Greek word in the New Testament for thanks or giving thanks is eucharistio. Eucharistio. The English word eucharist comes from that Greek word. Do you know it means give thanks? Now, the word, English word eucharist has different expressions in English traditions in, uh, in, in Christianity. We won't unpack all of that, but at its simplest form, it's simply another name for the Lord's Supper. This is a table of giving thanks. It is a table whereby we remember. It is a table whereby we are fed, nourished spiritually, but it's also a table whereby we give thanks. So it's not simply a somber table. It ought to be a table that launches us out in thankfulness, that the table of the Lord should move us in our hearts to giving thanks. Let's continue in verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Let's consider something about God's word. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. Some scriptures say that it's God, it's inspired by God. We have trouble with that in the English language because inspired can mean different things. And some say that we should say it's expired and that it's breathed out. It's God's word. All scripture is God's word. So if all scripture is from the mouth of God, if it is his word, then we can be sure that God's spirit will not lead us contrary to his word. The spirit of God will not lead us contrary or differently than his word. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do, or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So the leading and the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives will not only be consistent with Scripture, it will often be through the Word dwelling in us. We ought to be people of the Word. The Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who are by faith in Christ, is our guide and our counselor, those are names that are given or descriptions that are given of him, and he works according to his word, using that in our lives. The Spirit illumines our minds, shining the light of the word so that we grow in understanding of it. So then knowing, studying, memorizing, meditating upon 
Scripture is a key to experience the Spirit's work within us. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, if you looked in your Bible at that passage, we don't have time. When I'm running through like this, I know we don't have time to, to, to turn. But if you'll look at that later, you'll notice that that quote is indented because it comes from another passage of Scripture. It's a quote of Scripture from Isaiah. And so what Paul is doing here is linking, making a connection between what God has revealed by His Spirit and the Word. He goes on, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Word of God and the Spirit of God are inseparably linked. Because the Word of God is that. It is the Word of God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life, you need to know God's Word. And if you feel led in a direction that is contrary to God's Word, that may not be the Holy Spirit. In fact, I will say it is not the Holy Spirit. It may be rather indigestion. God's Holy Spirit will never lead you in a way that's contrary to His Word. So we've got to know the Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Some people want to discard the Word and have an experience. Other people talk about they want a revelation. We have been given the revelation of God to us in His written Word that we have in the Bible. So may we continue to be a people of His Word who know it and let it dwell in us richly. What does it look like? There's the preaching, the teaching of the Word, sermons, Bible studies and such. I think this is what Paul is capturing when he says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. But it's more than that. It's this one another language that we see used so often in the New Testament that helps us understand that this isn't something that just happens up here. It doesn't just happen in Bible study once a week. This is something that is to, to, to go from here and to transform all of us so that we are one anothering each other, that we are speaking God's word into each other's lives, that we are giving input and advice and encouragement and counsel from the very word of God so that we are growing up in truth. There is this one-anothering idea here. While the Word of God may be preeminent in the pulpit, and it should be, it is to flow from that and work itself into our relationships, our conversations, so that we're all edified and built up in the faith. And then he adds singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Some people have tried to pull all those apart and distinguish, and that's really not what we're going to do today. Um, we'll talk about that later, about what all those different words mean. Are there different categories of songs? The point is, is that we are to be men and women who are singing. We're to be a singing people, giving thanks in our hearts to God. And one of the ways that the Word of God works itself through us in our hearts is in our singing. Because when we sing, we're singing to God, but we're singing together. And the benefit of that is that we get to hear each other sing. We get to hear brothers and sisters singing truth, and this truth encourages us and builds us up and at times necessarily corrects us. There are some days when you may feel like you can't sing, but you need to be here to hear other people singing. And there may be days 
when you are singing for that person next to you who can't sing. We are to be a singing people, struggling together, working together to sing the truth of God. And then don't miss that last phrase, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, it's not just tacked on. We not only come to the Lord's table with thankful hearts, we are to sing with thankful hearts. Some days we sing because we're thankful, and some days we sing to be thankful. Some days we sing because we're thankful, and some days we sing to be thankful. And both are good good expressions and good disciplines that we ought to have in our lives. Finally, in verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I love the freedom in this verse. Do everything. Um, it's, that's everything, right? What's left after everything? Everything is to be done, word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I'll speak just one caveat vocationally. Not everyone is called to vocational Christian service. In fact, most are not called to vocational Christian service, and that's a good thing because we all don't need to be in a holy huddle. But we need, uh, we need to avoid or move away from this wrong idea that those in Christian ministry are in some higher class, spiritually. Oh, I know we joke about me having a telephone in there that, you know, straight line to heaven or something. I don't. Um, but really, there is no class structure that we see in Scripture. There is no secular, sacred divide when it comes to vocation. We're not more important, those of us who are in Christian service, and we're certainly not closer to God. Instead, whether you're a plumber, a teacher, a receptionist, a fireman, a student, a retired person, a lawyer, a stay-at-home mom, a pilot, a custodian, whatever you do, do it in the name of Jesus and give thanks. We need Christians in all spheres doing their craft to the glory of God, shining their light so that others might see, and like Eric Little, feeling the pleasure of God in doing what they're doing. Do it as unto the Lord. Whatever your calling is in life, it's a good calling. Do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. Be the best at whatever you are that you can be, not for your own reputation, but for the reputation of Christ. Work hard and work well in a manner that glorifies God. Of course, vocation is just one thing. It's it's everything, so it's not just vocation. It's everything else as well. Everything should be done as unto the Lord. This can be the bigger things in life, the big life decisions that we think of, but it's also the little stuff. It's the little stuff like not littering or holding the door for someone or putting our shopping cart back, letting someone ahead of us in line or cutting the neighbor's grass. It's the, the big things and it's the little things. It's whatever, and we ought to have our eyes open for the whatever's that God will give us this week and every week to shine the light of Christ. And once again, in all these whatevers and everythings, we are to give thanks to God, thanking Him for the opportunities that He's given us. Now remember the false teachers that had come into Colossae. This was what Paul was dealing with. They were attempting to lead these young believers astray. They were adding uh, these regulations, these man-made rules. They were talking about higher levels of spirituality that could be achieved. And Paul undoes all of these with this simple phrase, whatever you do. 
Paul removes that sanctimonious thought that there was some higher spiritual plane to be achieved and says, whatever you do, there is incredible freedom. We are not under the bondage of man-made regulations and we are not earning merit with our attempts at goodness. Anything we do in the name of Christ is to be in accord with His Word. Yes, that's why it needs to dwell in us richly. We need to live in accordance with His Word. But we can be sure that in our freedom, Christ produces us in accordance with His Word that He gives us incredible peace. So can we do something in accordance with His Word, knowing the peace of God and able to give thanks? Then we're free to do it. And we are to do it, to live to the glory of God, to do those things, the big whatevers, the little whatevers, with the freedom in Christ. Does it lead you to thankfulness? Do you know God's peace in doing it? Is it in in line with God's word? That's where your freedom is. That's a pretty big sphere. Throw off the human regulations that the, the false teachers brought. Kick aside this idea that there's some higher plane. Because you are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You don't get any higher than that. So may the thankfulness that is in our hearts as we come to this table continue to well up in us that we are continually thankful for the freedom that we have in Christ, for all that He has done for us. And may God continue to make us ever more thankful, not just in this meal, but as we leave and go out into the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the guidance and the strength and the revelation that it is to us that we may know you. I pray that we would continue to be a people of your word, that we would let it dwell in us richly. But we would also be a people who, as that word dwells in us, transforms us that we might go out and be who you made us to be in the callings that you gave us, doing everything for your glory with thankful hearts, giving thanks to you in all of these things, that others might see our good works and glorify you in heaven. Would you do this in, us, in and through us, Lord? Would you strengthen us for the tasks that are ahead? And may we, in all of these things, know this peace that surpasses understanding, that it would, it would indeed guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I pray that we would, as we sing together, as we pray together, as we worship together, be a source of strength for one another. Not because this is some kind of meeting that gives strength, but because of who we are looking toward. That Jesus is the rock that is our strength. That we would point one another to you, Lord. And that we would find our strength and our stability there so that we might go out and reflect your glory to the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.